This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. The Relic Radio Show, 60 Minutes of Radio Drama, brought to you every Tuesday by RelicRadio.com. first story this week comes from Escape from April 2nd, 1949. We'll hear Confidential Agent. After that, it's Box 13 and a book of poems. That one aired December 12th, 1947. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are trapped in a dark, empty house. A girl lying dead at your feet. And surrounding you, closing in on you, are a band of killers, deadly enemies of your country and yourself. And they are intent on murdering you. Today, with Barry Kroger starred as David, we escape to England and the story of a man whose life depended upon the outcome of his mission, as Graham Greene told it in his fascinating story, Confidential Agent. It was getting dark as the ship threaded its way through the tugs into Dover Harbor. The thick fog gave way reluctantly to the ship. It swirled over the deck. There was a cold bite to it, chilling me inside and out. Yet in a way, this cold English fog was more comforting than the atmosphere I had left. For in my country, there was war. Already Austria had fallen before the goose-stepping armies of a madman, and now my country was fighting with its back to the wall. In order to continue the fight, we needed industrial diamonds to shape the tools of war. That's why I was now landing in England. There were others in my country, a group headed by a man known only as the Baron, who wanted to turn our country over to the invader, who would do anything to stop us from getting the diamonds we needed. So you see, my mission was a secret one. Not even our own embassy knew of it. So far, the trip had been uneventful, except for meeting the girl. Her name was Rose Cullen. At first, she seemed too curious, asking questions about my trip, my visit, my friends. And I wondered if she were working with the Baron. But as time wore on, I decided I'd been mistaken, and I accepted her offer to drive me to London. Twenty minutes after we had docked, we were through the customs and walking towards the car park. Rose suddenly asked me to excuse her for a moment. Almost before I could answer her, she had vanished in the fog. Good evening, David. Baron. I've been expecting you. We have nothing to talk about, Baron. I think we could find a subject. Diamonds, for example. Or perhaps I could interest you in accepting, let us say, 2,000 pounds for our point of view. Say 2,000 pounds. I still say we have nothing to talk about. (laughs) An honest man. It's a very dangerous hobby, David. Honesty? You may remember an old saying in our country, the honest man and the thief 
both pay the same price to death. Goodbye, David. He raised his hand in an open-palmed salute and walked away, the fog quickly swirling up to hide him. There was a shot aimed at me. I jumped back against the wall. There was nothing to see but fog. Gray wisps of fog blanketing out everything. There was no way of telling from where death had tried to strike or from where it might strike again. Then I heard her returning. Had she left me to give them their chance? Or had it been her finger, manicured and perfumed, that had curled around the trigger? Sorry to be so long, David. Are you ready? Yes. I... I was talking to your friend, the Baron. The Baron? Oh, you must be mistaken. I don't know Baron. Come along. Did he say he knew me? No. Perhaps I am mistaken. Of course, it might be someone I met at Father's. He loves to surround himself with titles. Oh, who is your father? Oh, here we are. Will you drive? I'm simply exhausted. Oh, all right. My father? Oh, he's Lord Bendage. Didn't you know? Lord Bendage? But I thought your, your name is Colin? Well, of course. My father's name was Edward Cullen. After his first million pounds, he became Edward, Lord Bendage. It's really quite simple. I came here to do business with Lord Bendage. Isn't that coincidence? Everybody I meet has business with him. I see. <laughs> I can't think of anything more dull than father's business. What are you thinking? How, in my country, I would go along a country road like this very slowly, ready to jump into a ditch if I heard a plane. I'm not sure the war has not followed me here. Oh, don't be silly. The only war here is between the Prime Minister who talks about peace in our time and Mr. Churchill, who talks just as long about the glory that was Britain's. And nobody believes in anything. You're very cynical for such a pretty girl. What is there for me to believe in? My father's diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly something to get passionate about. You have uh, no young man? Plenty. If I want to know who scored 60 runs in the Lansing-Brighton cricket match, <laughs> or the odds at Epsom Downs. But there, there's no excitement. If it's excitement you want, perhaps we still will get it. One of my countrymen tried to kill me just before you joined me. Oh, really? It's true. He or his men will certainly try again before I reach your father. Oh, don't be so melodramatic. Things like that don't happen except in thrillers. Unless, of course, you're a spy. <laughs> Are you? No. No. <laughs> no, I'm more of a confidential agent. I uh, be... What's the matter? What's that ahead of us? Oh, it's just a lorry. Why is he blocking the road? Oh, he's stalled, probably. I'm sorry you're mixed up in this oh, road. But it's only someone out of Hold petrol. on, we're going on. Oh! in the window shield. Well, someone is trying to kill you. Yes. We must go to the police. With what? We saw no one we could identify. Oh, but we struck one of them. I felt the car hit him. Couldn't they be traced by him? All it would prove is that I ran him down. In fact, they might use that to have me arrested. Oh, no. If the Baron fails to kill me, and I think I can see to that, then it would serve him almost as much to have me arrested for murder. It was late at night when we reached London. Rose wanted to drive me to my destination, but I refused. It wasn't entirely distrust, but the fear that she might lead them to me without realizing it. So she dropped me off in the West End. When she'd driven on, 
I stopped the taxi, gave the driver the address. He brought me to an old two-story house, its dirty gray front bearing witness to the poverty of the neighborhood. Here you are, Governor. This is number 10, Mallon End. That's right, Governor. Just over there. You up across the road and you'll be at the door. How can you be so sure, driver? It's so foggy here, I can't see the number. Ah, I counted them. Counted the Aussies from the corner of High Street. I see. That's number 10, all right. All right. That will be three and sixpence, sir. Oh, yes, of course. Here, here you are. Oh, oh, thanks very much, Governor. Well, thank you. <laughs> Good night. Good night. I stepped closer and peered through the fog that blanketed the buildings, with only here and there a feeble gleam of light struggling through. I stood there for a moment, looking at it. There was no light visible in any of the windows, and I wondered, fear pressing in with the fog, if something had happened to our agent. I kept my hand near my gun as I pressed the button beside the door. If something had happened to our agent, this might be a trap. The door opened a few inches, and a pinched, elfin face, neither old nor young, looked out at me. What do you want this time of night? I'm sorry, but I'm... David. David? D, as in diamonds. Oh, come in. Just a minute, I'll turn on the lights. All right, thank you. You're much younger than I thought you'd be. We are using them younger these days. I was just making a spot of tea. Perhaps you'd like some. Oh, yes, I would. Very much, thank you. You see, I've been very careful with lights since I saw someone watching the house two days ago. One of the baron's men, you think? I don't know. I just thought it better not to take chances. Good girl. The baron came over on the same boat with me. Oh? Did he see you? Oh, yes. Thank you. It's all right. We even had a short talk at the customs. You... What did he say? He offered me money for a vacation. How much? Two thousand pounds. You refused? Of course. Two thousand pounds. Oh, this day's good. After being out in the fog, it's warm. It's more money than I've ever seen in my life. How do I know you refused? I suppose that's a question I would ask, too. Where I in your place? <laughs> you know, I wonder if that isn't the Baron's biggest crime against us, that he's made us eternally suspicious of each other. Yes, I... What is your name? Elsie. Elsie. <laughs> well, Elsie, you don't know that I didn't take the 2,000 pounds. But I am going to see Lord Bendich tomorrow, and maybe that will prove it. And then you'll be going back? Uh, Monday, yes. Oh, I see. Now, what do you have for me? Not very much. You see, I know that the Baron has friends everywhere, even in the English government. But Lord Bendit will deal with you first if you are there on time and can prove you represent your government. If I did not show up, then he'd be free to deal with the Baron. Yes, that's it, exactly. Now, look, if you're seeing Bendit and his syndicate tomorrow... Yes. ...then I must warn you again that... The shot came through the window. I leaped to the wall, turned off the light. I knelt, found her wrist. There was no pulse. Elsie was dead. Kneeling there, I cursed myself. The minute she told me that someone had been watching the house, I should have known that both of us had to get out. I should have known there was no time for tea and talk. Suddenly, I heard a sound. 
the door. The killer or killers were in the house. To stay there in that dark, small room, try to shoot it out with them, could have only one ending. They were blocking off the front door. I couldn't leave through a window. I'd be a perfect target that way. I began to edge toward the other door in the back. It was slow work. Then I was in what seemed to be a kitchen. A gloomy patch of light guided me to the door. I pressed my face to the glass, strained to see outside. A man was standing only a few feet from the back door. There was only one other way to go. Up. I slipped out of the kitchen into the hall. After what seemed hours, I found the stairway and carefully stepped on the first step. It creaked, and I leaped higher and up to one side, just in time. Another step. I again. There was only one thing to do. I raced up the stairs. I flung myself to the floor. Downstairs, I heard the front door open again. More of them had entered the house. They were taking no chances. I lay there on the floor at the head of the stairs, scarcely daring to breathe. I knew I could get anyone coming up that stairs with my gun, but was there another stairway to the second floor? I knew so many of these houses had them. Perhaps this one did too. And that... Somewhere outside, I heard something thump against the side of the house. One of them was trying to get in. One of them was coming in through some window on the second floor. From every side, death was closing in on me. In just a moment, we will return to escape. But first, that happy but hectic couple, Ozzie and Harriet, come home to CBS tomorrow at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. So get your whole family together to welcome them home next Sunday night when they'll be heard on most of these same CBS stations just before the Jack Benny Show. And now with our star, Barry Kroger, as David, we return to the second act of Escape and... Confidential Agent. I was on the second floor of the old house on Mallon End, and the Baron's men were downstairs, slowly working their way up to me, searching me out. It was a quick decision. The open rooftop presented a chance of escape. And lying here in the dark was tempting discovery. A moment later, I was through a skylight and in the night air. Five houses away, I found fire escape and it reached the ground. And two blocks farther, on Blean Street, I found a cheap hotel and registered under another name. The next morning, I took a taxi to the house of Lord Bendage. The butler, with the empty face of the typical British servant, took my coat and then showed me into the room where Lord Bendich and four other men waited. These men were the Diamond Syndicate. You're the man we're expecting? Yes. I think you know the object of my visit. We had a letter a fortnight ago. Strange the purchase wasn't handled through your embassy or consulate. Mm. Uh, this is Mr. Forbes. How do you do? How do you do, Mr. Lord Fetting. Oh, my lord. Mr. Brigstock. How do you do, sir? Mr. O'Grady. You'll forgive us if we get to business right away? I should like that. Now, I am I'm prepared to pay the highest market price for which I have here a side draft and a bonus of 25% after the diamonds reach my country. Mm, you will take the diamonds yourself? Oh, yes. Then the bonus should be paid now. 
Bendit is right, old boy. You might never go back, and then uh, where should we be? Perhaps, Lord Bendit, we could accept the offer as it is if we are given notes covering the bonus. Oh, yes, I'm quite prepared to do that. Very well. You understand, we could do better than this, but we'd like to do business with established governments. Uh, we must, however, be certain that you have the right to speak for your government. Uh, you have your credentials, of course. Certainly, I have them. Something wrong? That's that's extraordinary. I I had them in my breast pocket with my passport here. Perhaps you left I, them at your hotel. Morning after a tacky evening, Lord. I, I had them right here when I entered this house. If you're implying, I did have my papers. They've been stolen. I dare say. Well. It's obvious we can't do business with an unaccredited agent. Lord, then it's been stolen. Rough go, old boy. But it looks like uh, you've had it. We are sorry, but Lord Bendit is right. We can't. I walked slowly out of the room. I must admit they were fair. The butler must have taken the papers when they helped me off with my coat. But I had no proof. I went out into the hall, took my coat from the rack. I was about to leave when I heard my name. David. It was Rose Cullen. David, did you get the diamonds from Father? No, my papers have been stolen. stolen. And your father won't deal with me since I could not prove I represent my government. Rose, do you know, is your father's butler new? Well, I, I think so, although I didn't really notice. I don't live here. I have my own apartment. You mean you think he... I'm sure of it. I had my papers when I came up the steps. They were gone when I went to show them to your father. Then that means... Come along, David. We'll find out. No, Rose. That would do no good. I'm sure that the Baron will have covered all loopholes. The papers are far away by now. No. I must think of some other way to convince your father. Well, isn't there someone at your embassy? Hmm. I don't think so. We don't trust them. Except perhaps the second secretary. He... But even he may have been reached. But we've got to do something. We can't we? just... Uh... Why do you suddenly want to help me? Only last night you were laughing at me, Rose. Maybe I was. Last night. Well, then, why... Oh, David, can't you guess why I want to help you? To be with you. Rose, look. Oh, all you think of is your stupid war. Last night I laughed at you because you were a, a stuffy little man from another country filled with ideas of his own importance and briefs and papers. Now, after I've had a chance to think things over, I know this isn't true. Rose, a man in my position has to give up many things. He has no time to... Fall in love. <clears throat> Why not, David? Why not? Rose. Oh, all right. I won't embarrass you. Now, tell me something. Forbes and Brigstock were with Father when you met? Yes, yes, they were. All right, then. Brigstock is an ass, but they'll both help your country if they're sure it's all right. I'll get them, and the four of us will go to your embassy. We'll make them prove who you are. She was right. They both did seem anxious to help, and were quite willing to go to the embassy with us. At the embassy, we waited for the second secretary. Then a man appeared, a countryman of mine, although I had never seen him before. May I help you, gentlemen? Yes. Mm. Uh, my name is Forbes. Uh, this is Mr. Briggstock. How do you do? Mm. We are associated with Lord Bendich. This is his daughter. We are considering doing business with this other gentleman who claims to represent your government. I know of no official representative being sent here. What is your name, sir? 
Here is my passport. See. This is very strange. Mr. Forbes, the man whose name is on this passport is no longer alive. Are you What's sure? He was shot by the rebels. Oh, well, you're I... lying. You didn't even look at the passport. You had your story ready before we even got here. As a matter of fact, yes. We were warned that someone was posing as this man. We've had the Scotland Yard man here hoping he'd show up. Inspector! Scotland Yard, eh? They'll get to the bottom of this. I have no doubt. Ah, uh, is this the man? Yes. And here is his passport, Inspector. I see. Well, sir, we're going to have to hold you. On what charges, Inspector? Well, there are several, miss. Using a, far, a forged passport, illegal entry into the country, trying to obtain a contract under false pretenses... Inquiry into a hit-and-run death on the Dover Road last night. And inquiry into the death of a young woman on Mallon Inn. What if I refuse to accompany you, Inspector? Well, in that case, sir, I'm afraid I'll have to force you. If you need it, Inspector, I have a gun here. He doesn't need it, but I... Oh, no! Now, stand back! David! Don't try to follow me through the door! Wait, David! I'm coming with you! The two of us backed out of the room and ran downstairs. I knew it would be only a matter of minutes before there'd be an alarm out and Scotland Yard would be looking for me as well as the Baron's men. I was sure that I could beat the murder charges. But by that time, it would be too late to get the industrial diamonds to my country, even if I could buy them. Rose took me to her apartment. Then, without telling me what she was going to do, she left. An hour later, she was back. David! It worked! What worked? I went to find Forbes and Brigstock. I convinced them that you don't dare stay and face the charges, and they're going to sell you the diamonds you need in spite of father. Isn't it wonderful? You are. I don't know how I can ever repay you. By taking me back with you. Rose, darling, I told you before. I'm not asking you to marry me. I'm only asking to go back with you, to take part in something that's decent and honest. After that, well, we'll take what comes. You don't know what you're asking, Rose. It is not so simple as just going back. What do you mean? After the day, Scotland Yard will be watching every ship leaving England. I can't book passage. I'll have to find some way to slip out of the country. Oh, Forbes can arrange that too, after you get the diamonds. Forbes and Brigstock brought the diamonds, a small package that meant life for at least a while longer to my country. They both seemed only embarrassed when I tried to thank them, and when they left, Rose went with them. They had not been gone long, when there was a knock on the door. I, I hesitated to answer to it. It's Brickstock, old boy. I say, let me in. Well, Mr. Brickstock, is something wrong? Well, not a thing, old boy. You know, it occurred to me that you're in a bit of a spot about getting out of the country... Now that you have the diamonds, an idea happily struck me, so I just nip back. You know how I can get away? Quite. The perfect solution, old boy, is this. A gun? Astute of you to recognize it. No, don't move. Assure you I'm an expert shot. Bullseye and all that sort of thing. You're one of them. In a manner of speaking, yes. You see, I'm one of the fortunate few who recognize that democracies are decadent. Too weak, you know. Nothing for me to do but work with other Johnnies who agree. An Aryan world for all you Aryan supermen. Is that it? You know, Rose has exquisite taste in rugs. It's a pity you'll have to bleed all over it. You're quite insane, Brigstock. Not at all. You see, people like you never have the brains to understand the glorious world that we are going to build. A world dedicated to joy through strength. <laughs> Forbes. 
I say, most unfair. Although... They can never resist making speeches. I thought there was something suspicious about Brigstock leaving us so suddenly, so I followed him. But there's no time to talk. You have to get out of here quickly. Where shall I go? I own a resort hotel near South Crawl. South Crawl. I'll make a reservation for you, and tonight one of my men will pick you up there, put you on a freighter bound for your country. And Brigstock? Brigstock is our problem. I'll give them a full report of it when I turn myself in, as I must do. Perhaps, perhaps my trial will help my country as much as your escape will help yours. I reached the hotel just as it was getting dark. The lobby was filled with men and women in shorts and jackets, all of them talking of sports. Surely no place was safer. I went over to buy a newspaper. I say, don't I know you? Your face is familiar. I don't believe so. Uh, foreigner, aren't you? Why, have it. Saw a photograph of you in the stock press edition of the Express. I'm afraid you've made a mistake. Can't get away from Scotland Yard. Best police force in the world. No, I remember. It was murder. Don't try to get away now. I shall take measures, you know. I thought of making a run for it, but there was no use. The lobby was filled with people. I couldn't hold up all of them. My captor sent someone to call the police. We sat down and waited. You foreigners aren't civilized, you know. Fellow told me when he was in Prague, he saw a chap shoot down the bobby right on the street. Can't do that sort of thing, you know. Anyone in here by the name here of... Here we are. Are you the detective? Uh, the detective? Uh, why, yes. Then here's your man. Oh, I see. Uh, I have a warrant for your arrest, uh, charging I you... I know the charge, officer. Don't bother with it. Well, then, uh, uh, come along, no handcuffs? No, I don't think that would be necessary. I have a car right out here. Well, that was a close one. Close one? Yes. It's a good thing you played along or I wouldn't have been sure what the charges were. You mean you're not a detective? Heavens, no. <laughs> Mr. Forbes didn't tell me the yard was in this. Oh, they weren't before. It was in the last edition of the paper. One man recognized me and called the police. Yeah, it's lucky I came when I did then. Very. Well, we'll be at the coast before they get a search underway. We reached the coast in half an hour, and I was hoisted over the side of a small freighter, like a piece of cargo. I stayed below until we were well underway and then went above. The deck was uncovered, and the wind whipped the sharp spray across my face. I could feel the pressure of the package of diamonds in my pocket. My mission was over, and I was on my way home. Yet I felt neither relief nor happiness. I'd thought there was no room in my life for both war and love. But now that there was only war ahead, I felt empty. I stared over the lights, glimmering somewhere far astern. That... that would be Plymouth Hope. Rose. Oh, Dave. Rose, now. Rose, darling, oh. this is not the time for tears. When, when I was a little girl, someone told me that most men don't know what they want, so they make gestures. Oh, like and Forbes said the same thing this afternoon. And so I, I decided not to waste time. And I made the decision for both of us. Between Mr. Forbes and yourself, my darling, it seems 
Everything has been taken care of. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented transcribed Confidential Agent by Graham Greene, adapted for radio by Ken Crossan, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as David was Barry Kroger. Featured in the cast were Edgar Barrier, Constance Cavendish, Herb Butterfield, Parley Bear, Olive Deering, Ben Wright, Wilms Herbert, and Alec Harford. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Detmars. Next week... You are standing alone in a lonely canyon in the shadows of Superstition Mountain. While facing you, tempers ragged, guns drawn, are three men who at your first move toward hidden treasure will shoot you dead. Next week, we escape with Ralph Bates' unusual story, When the Man Comes, Follow Him. Be sure to tune in at the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. Tomorrow night on CBS is really something to talk about and listen to. Academy Award winner Jane Wyman on the CBS Family Hour of Stars. Ozzie and Harriet, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Sam Spade, and Lum and Abner. These are only a few of the great stars and shows which will come to you tomorrow night on most of these same CBS network stations. Jack Benny, of course, will be heard on the entire CBS network. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by the Let's Pretend program over most of these same CBS network stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Two bucks thirteen. Care of the Star Times. Carl! Carl! What are you doing? Nothing. I ain't doing nothing. It's just a book, Holiday. Somebody sent a book to Box 13. Why? And now, Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Susie. Susie, come here a minute, will you? You call me Mr. Holliday? How did you guess? I heard you. All right. Now that we've cleared that up, how about this book? That one? This one. It came in the mail for box 13. You sure? Sure, I'm sure, Mr. Holliday. The wrapping paper's right in the wastebasket there. I- I'll get it and show you. Here. Address printed. Block letters. Shaky hand. 
Susie, did any letter come with this? Mm, just a book. Ex Libris. Robert and Chase. All right, Susie, we've got a problem. Somebody sends me a book from the library of Robert and Chase. Why? Maybe it's a bestseller. Yeah, and its day it was. Still is. The poems of Sir Walter Scott. Do you like poetry, Mr. Holliday? Love it, Susie. Just love it. Listen. If thou wouldst view fair Melrose aright, go visit it by the pale moonlight. The gay beams of light someday gild but to flout the ruins gray. Pretty, huh? What's it mean, Mr. Holliday? Susie, you're asking the jackpot question. The book's broken to fall open at this poem. Why? We're in a rut. Well, there's one way to get out of it. If anyone calls for me, I'll be in the morgue. Star time. Sure, sure. Robert N. Chase. We've got plenty about him, Holiday. Well, let me have it. You ought to remember him. Vaguely, I do. All right, Mac, what do we got? Headlines. Lots of them. Headlines, huh? What's he been doing? Same thing he's been doing for the past ten years. He's in a rut, too. Six foot deep. Dead? Here. You read all about it, Dan. Socialites dead in tragic blaze. Oh, sure, I remember now. But ten... Ten years ago, I was cutting my reporter's teeth on a police beat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A cop wouldn't get a juicy story like this to cover. Son near death. Daughter at school escapes tragedy. Last night, fire swept the Robert N. Chase mansion. Blaze unnoticed until too late, spread rapidly. Injured son not expected to live. He did, though. Uh-huh, I see. Mildred Chase, 18, was attending a college function when the flames took the lives of her parents and swept rapidly through the palatial country estate, Fair Melrose. They were... Fair Melrose. Yeah, that was the name of the estate. Fair Melrose. Mac, the uh, Chase girl, got anything on her? What paper didn't have. What do you mean? You know, too much dough, spoiled kid, wrong company. She ran smack into the gossip stuff almost every week. Know where she is now? Well, she dropped back after the fire. It kind of cooled her off. Oh, she's been a good girl ever since, is that it? Well, that's it. I tell you what, Dan, drop upstairs to see Mona in society. She can give you the dope. All right. Thanks, Mac. Say, you must come and visit my morgue sometime. Uh, I like this one. I only read about characters. I don't have to bump into them. Ah, but mine move around, Mac, and sometimes too fast. Monsieur? Ah, free French are engaged. You wish to see someone, monsieur? Yes, Miss Chase. Miss Mildred Chase. You have an appointment? Is that an offer or a business question? <laughs> monsieur, if you will tell me... Colette, what is it? There is someone here, mademoiselle. I don't wish to be disturbed. I'm sorry, monsieur, but mademoiselle Chase, she is not home. Oh, I see. Then you've got a talking piano. Oh, please, monsieur. I cannot let you in. You are mademoiselle. Yes, I did. But if you will go in and tell Mademoiselle that Sir Walter Scott is waiting to see her, I'm sure she'll listen. What do you say? Where? Vive la France. <laughs> All right. You wait here. But I cannot promise. Yes? What is it? 
What do you want? Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Chase. I, I have to see you. Well, I don't know you. I've never seen you before. Well, lots of people haven't. But my name's Dan Holliday. The name means nothing to me. It means everything to my mother. <laughs> what do you want? I'm sorry, Miss Chase, bursting in like this. But I've come to see you about Fair Melrose. Who... Who are you? Oh, I told you. Dan Holliday. Occupation. Fiction writer. And are you writing now, Mr. Holliday? Maybe. Oh, uh, is this yours? Mine? That book? Here, take it. Where did you get this? You don't know. No. Where did you get it? But you do recognize it. Yes. It, it was part of my father's collection. I asked you, how did you get it? Through the mail. It was addressed to Box 13, care of the Star Times. Or doesn't that mean anything? No. Nothing at all. You should read the classified ads, Miss Chase. Box 13. Adventure wanted will go anywhere, do anything. You thank see, I... you for bringing the book back to me, Mr. Holliday. You don't have any idea why the book was sent to me? Why, oh, I don't know any more about it than you do. Maybe you don't. That's right. Colette will show you Was there anything not... suspicious about the fire that destroyed Fair Melrose? Mr. Holliday, I don't know what you have in mind, but that was a cruel thing to say. A hateful thing. You're not proud of it, are you? I'm nothing one way or the other, Miss Chase. But that book was sent to me. It was broken to fall open at the poems about Fair Melrose. I'd just like to know why. I know nothing about it. All I know is that fire took my mother and father. It's very sad, Miss Chase. And my poor brother was left a hopeless invalid, completely paralyzed, unable to speak, to move. Where is your brother now? At Fair Melrose. The place he always loved. But I thought it was destroyed by fire ten years ago. Yes. But one wing remained standing. Your brother is there alone? Yes. That's where he would want to be. And I arranged for someone to care for him. Oh, I see. And now, Mr. Holliday, I'd like to forget all this. Well, I'm sorry to have bothered you, Miss Chase. I was merely curious about that book. I know nothing about it. All I want to do is to forget. To forget! <laughs> you want this hour of the night? I'm looking for Fair Melrose. Eh? What for? Will you tell me how I can get there? I'm lost. Stay lost, then. Just a minute, please. Get your foot out of the door. Get! Don't be afraid. I'm not going to harm you. I just want to know the way to Fair Melrose. Eh, what for? I've, I've got business there. You're lying. Nobody's got no business there. Nobody. All right, I'm nobody. Is your house on the ground? Yeah, it should be. Been here for 30 years. Oh, Nice little cottage you've got here. What you want to go up there for? To look at it. Uh, what for? Huh. Nice waltz we're having. Young fella, I asked you a question, and you ain't answered. All right. I want to find out about the fire. Well, ain't nothing nobody needs to find out about it. It was a visitation of the Lord. It was a judgment on the sin that was going on. Heaven rained fire that night and wiped out the last of Babylon. I'm not sure I got all that. Oh, the wages of sin is death. Now you know. Wait a minute. Were you here that night? Me and Carl. Carl? Eh, my husband. 
He was down here and seen the fire eaten up like the vengeance of the angels. We seen it, young fella. It was a judgment, a judgment for the years of sin. <laughs> we didn't have to do no more caretaking after that night. Providence took care for us. You and Carl, uh, caretakers, is that it? That's right. <laughs> only, only one wing to take care of now. Only one wing and him. Oh, the brother. Yes, yes, him that can't move or talk or hear. And that's where they brung him. And that's where he stayed. Now, you get. I, I talked enough. I wonder. How do I get up there? You're still going up, huh? More than ever now. Which way? Yeah, straight up the canyon. Turn left. It's top of the hill. Thanks. Well, maybe you should have picked a lighter night. Yes, one with a moon. <laughs> Maybe she's right, Holiday. Definitely no night for a picnic. And who said it's going to be a picnic? Anybody here? Hello? The same to you with feathers on. Match holiday. Don't be so stupid. Is anyone here? Mr. Chase? Oh, Mr. Chase. Holy mackerel. Who are you? Answer me. <laughs> Listening to Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. And now, back to Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Nice Barrett's own voice you got there, Holiday. Kling. Inspector Kling. Where am I? Hospital. What for? For your head. There's a little dent in it about two inches deep. Oh, I remember. Where is he? He? Who? The body. Oh, the body. What body? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How did you get in? Who found me? Who told you all about this? The old girl, caretaker's wife. She found you. Oh. Kling, I saw a body in Fair Melrose. Holiday, I don't know what merry-go-round you're on, but keep up this way and you'll get the brass ring through your nose. How do I get out of this place? Walk out. Thanks. What are you going to do now? Why? I want to know where to pick up the body. Keep in touch, Kling. What have you got in mind? A date. A date with a beautiful young lady. Slightly hysterical and more than a little mysterious. But interesting. 
here again, Mr. Holliday. More to the point, what do you want? Will you please leave? Every time I come here, I get invited to leave. I don't know what you're doing, Mr. Holliday, but it's none of your business. You ought to... I went to Fair Melrose last night. What for? I wanted to see it. And your brother. You mustn't see him. Why not? What do you do, Miss Chase? Please leave him alone. All right. Did you go to Melrose last night? No. I haven't been there for ten years. You weren't there the night of the fire either, were you? No, no, I wasn't. All right, all right. I'll take your word for it. Now, mind if I ask you one more question? If you'll go, I'll answer it. It's a deal. What are you afraid of? Nothing. That's your answer? Yes. I, I'd almost forgotten that horrible night until you came here. For ten years, I've lived away from it, keeping it away from me. Now you've brought it all back. Don't you have any pity? Lots of it, Miss Chase. For a lot of people. Particularly you. What do you want to see him for? I've got to. I want to talk with him. He can't talk. He can't hear. He's in the only wing left by the fire. Well, that he is. You, you still want to go up to see him? Yes, I do. Oh, the chases. Devil's brood, all of them. Devil's brood. The young and with her temper, screaming at her mother and father. And him that's upstairs now, always fighting with his sister. The fire was a visitation and a judgment of providence. Ah, ah. There he is. Oh, no. Well, that's him. You stay here. Mr. Chase. Mr. Chase. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Can't, can't. Shut up. Mr. Chase, I'm... I'm Dan Holliday. Box 13. Box 13, do you understand? Not in his head. That's all he can do. Mr. Chase, you wanted to see me. You sent me that book. You had Carl send it to me. Is that right? Nod your head if that's right. Good. Now, why? He can hear. You can hear me a little, can't you, Mr. Chase? Good. Why did you send me that book? Why did you want me to come here? He wants me to look around, Bertha. At what? At what? Ain't nothing in here. Ain't nothing. Look, Mr. Chase. I'll walk around the room. I'll watch you. When you want me to stop, nod your head. Understand? Good. Now watch me. Here, this trophy case. Is this it? What about it? What do you want me to see in this? Good. Bertha, come here. Hi! coming in. I said, come here, come on. Take a good look at this trophy case, Bertha. A good look. Uh, I don't see nothing. There's a plaque missing from its place. There's heavy dust around behind all those cups and trophies, but there's a clean spot here where a plaque stood. No dust, Bertha. No dust. 
Someone took a plaque from here not more than a few days ago. Did you? I ain't touched nothing. Never touched nothing. Mr. Chase, that plaque, whose was it? Yours? No. Your father's? Mother's? Mildred's. It was hers. But someone took it. Mr. Chase, try to understand. Try to answer. Please, you've got to... He can't... Mr. Chase, try hard. Try hard to hear me again. Let him alone. He can't do no more. Stay with... Stay with him, Bertha. Don't leave him for a minute, do you hear? Oh, hello there. Hello, Holiday. Inspector, I'm in a hurry. No, it looks like it. But you can spare a poor cop a couple of minutes to explain something, can't you? What? That body. We found it. In a ravine about a mile down the road. All right, you found the body. Now I'm in a hurry. I gotta go. Not so fast, Holiday. There are a couple of questions I'd like to ask you. Later, Kling. Later. You know where to reach me? Holiday. Come back, Holiday. I say come back here. I'd be care of box 13. You. You saw my brother, Mr. Holiday? Yes, I saw him. Oh, please keep playing. I don't know why I let you in here. I do. Can't you leave me alone? Please, the piano. I like to hear it. What did you find out? So you don't know why anyone would have taken that plaque from the trophy case? No! Your brother managed to tell me it was yours. He was... Where was it? In the lower right-hand corner of the trophy case. Lower right-hand corner? Lower? That mean anything? Well, it... It was a plaque I won for dramatics at Merrifield Academy. I don't get it. What value does it have? It isn't worth anything except... Except what? The plaque was presented to me at a dinner at Merrifield. So, go on. The dinner was the night of the fire at Melrose. And the plaque would prove you were at Merrifield the night of the fire. Yes. But somebody... Somebody wants people to think you were at Fair Melrose. Were you? No, no, no! How many times do I have to say that? That's enough. Who hates you, Miss Chase? My brother. Your brother? They all hated me. My mother, my father, my brother. Sometimes I think I hated them. Watching me, picking my friends, cutting me off from the friends I picked. I couldn't stand it any... I see. All right, Miss Chase. We'll forget it for now. But can I come back this evening? Why? I said before I wanted to help you. That still goes. Miss Chase, it still goes. Please sit down, Mr. Holliday. Thanks, Miss Chase. Do, uh, do you have anything to tell me? A few things, yes. But first, uh, is there anything you want to tell me? Tell you? Why, no. You sure? Positive. What could I tell you? A story. I don't know what you mean. All right, I'll explain. Must you play the piano? No, but I'd like to. Miss Chase... Let me tell you a story. What about? 
Well, I don't know whether it's exact or not. You see, I have to guess a lot. Fill in details myself. But this story's about a girl, an 18-year-old girl. That is, she was 18 10 years ago. And what's that got to do with me? Oh, you might be the girl, Miss Chase. Wild with a temper, bad temper. She had a lot of fights with her parents. Mostly about the friends she had, the way she ran around. What are you trying to say? That one night this girl set fire to her home in a fit of temper after a fight with her parents. Maybe she didn't mean to do what she did, but the fire destroyed her home almost completely. It meant the death of her parents and it made her brother a... You're making this up. You're guessing. I said I'd have to guess. I was at Merrifield the night of the fire. For a while. I checked. Found out you left early enough to get to Melville's. And you brought a plaque with you. The one you'd won for dramatics. Well, I, I brought it to Melrose later. The, the next day or the next. I, I, I don't remember. No, that's no goodness, Chase. It's too hard to believe that anyone would walk into a ruined home and put a plaque in a trophy case. I say you took it to Melrose, then had the fight with your mother and father. You're lying. I don't think so. I took it there after the fire. And why is it missing? Want me to look around your apartment for it, Miss Chase? Or send for the police to look for it? No. Why not, if you haven't got it? Why are you afraid to let me look for it? So I am right. Now let's get on with the story. For ten years you held the secret. There's nothing to connect you with the fire at Melrose except that plaque. For years that fire's on your mind. Day after day you have to live with the secret. Wondering if there's anything that will connect you with that night. But there's nothing. There's nothing. Then you remember that plaque. It will prove that you were at Melrose. Because the date engraved on it is the same as the date of the fire. No, I tell you it's not true. So there's only one thing to do. Get that plaque out of Melrose. But you didn't count on one thing. Your brother. Day after day he saw that trophy case. Day after day it was the same. Never changing. Like the four walls he had to stare at. Suddenly, it's different. There's... There's something missing. He racks his brains and he remembers. He remembers the plaque that was there. When he was able to read, he must have read about the fire. How you escaped the tragedy by being at school that night. How lucky everyone said you were. He read how you were presented with a plaque for dramatics. And his tortured mind puts two and two together. And he arrives at the conclusion that you were at Melrose. Home. The night of the fire. Well, Miss Chase, did you like that story? There's nothing you can prove. Maybe not. But how about Carl's murder? You killed him. Because you thought Carl was me last night. No. What, what are you doing? Calling the police. It's for them now. I think they'll prove you killed Carl. They're good at that sort of thing, Miss Chase. Very good. No, no, please. What do you want, money? I'll give you money, anything, only don't call them. Why not? Please, please. Hello, Inspector Blinkley. They hated me, all of them. Okay, I hated on. them, and you, I hate you. Look out. Look out. Oh, no. <laughs> Hello, Kling. Holiday. Come to the Sunview Apartments now. I, uh, I just rang down the curtain on a ten-year dramatic act. <laughs> Thank you.
Gee, it must have been awful thrilling, Mr. Holliday. Yeah, sure, Susie. About as thrilling as throwing dirt in a guy's face. Oh. Well, here's some more mail for Box 13. Later, Susie, later. But here's something maybe you ought to look into. What? If you subscribe to this book club, you get a free set of Sir Walter Scott's poems. Oh, fine, fine. Good night, Susie. Next week, same time, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Alan Ladd appears through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures and may currently be seen in Wild Harvest. Box 13 is directed by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager with an original story by Frank Hart Tausig. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. This is a Mayfair production. That's going to do it for the Relic Radio Show for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find more from Escape, Box 13, past episodes of this podcast, and all the others at relicradio.com. We've got thousands of old-time radio episodes to listen to for free. Thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next week with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.